I want to start this morning by just jumping right into the text from John chapter 4. John chapter 4, uh, verses uh, 4 through 26, and then 39 through 42. And um, Jesus is uh, going from one place to another, but he doesn't go the normal path. And so we'll, we'll see that here. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Now up on the screen, um, you can see a map, uh, a little bit small for you to to see a whole lot of of detail there. Um, But Jesus was down here in this area, and he wanted to go up here. And our scripture tells us that he had to go through Samaria. Well, that's strange wording, if you understand the the cultural uh, times of the day, because if, if Jews wanted to go from here to there, they never went straight through. They always went over along the coastline, or they would cross over the Jordan River and walk, go up through Perea and then cross back over into Galilee. Um, but Jesus did not go that way on purpose. In fact, our text tells us he had to go through Samaria. Um, and that was because he had a purpose. He wanted to reach a Samaritan woman. And he wanted to reach a community Uh, the community where that Samaritan woman uh, lived at. Now, um, if we begin arranging our lives according to the purpose of reaching other people for Jesus, that's going to mean that you and I are going to go on some unusual paths. (laughs) We're probably going to go some places where we wouldn't normally go. And just be out of our cultural patterns and break down some barriers. You know, we just tend to get in a rut and do things a certain way. And if we start thinking about sharing our faith and reaching other people, it means we're going to do some things that are a little bit odd, a little bit different from our normal pattern. And certainly the normal pattern would not have been to go straight through, even though that would have been the shortest route. Um, And Jesus does not do that. And so it says that Jesus left Judea and headed to Galilee, and and there were those three routes that I mentioned, but there was such deep-seated hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans that the Jews simply wouldn't go through Samaria. They wanted to go around them. They didn't want to come into contact with those people. Now, the Samaritans were originally Israelites. They had been Jews and then when the, when the Israelites were taken into captivity, most of them left, but there were some Jews that were left in this area of Samaria. And the Babylonians, instead of taking them into captivity, brought in pagan gods and cultures and practices and then brought in uh, Gentiles and they intermarried. 
And so they were not pure Jews anymore. And so when Nehemiah and Ezra and the Jews are returning from captivity 70 years later, they come back and they find this group of Jews who are no longer holy Jews. They're a mixed race. And they're not following Jewish customs and um, all of that. And they, they basically only accept the first five books of our Bibles, the Pentateuch. And they won't take any of the rest of the Old Testament that the other Jews are beginning to uh, accept as, as the word of God. And so there was, there was a lot of resentment between the returning Jews who had paid the price for their sin. And they came back and they looked at these Samaritans and they said, you guys waffled. You did not pay the price and you know, you, you've become corrupt and all of that. And, and so anyway, um, because they were mixed, they were not allowed to go to the temple at Jerusalem. Now, remember, Nehemiah and Ezra came back to rebuild that temple. So it wasn't rebuilt. And when they came back to rebuild that temple, who was it that fought Ezra and Nehemiah on the rebuilding of the temple? Do you remember? The Samaritans. Tobiah <laughs> was one of the guys. Sanballat was another guy that fought the build, rebuilding of the temple. He did not want that to happen. Why? Because they were not true Jews. And if that got rebuilt, they couldn't go there and worship anyway. And it would just put more distance between uh, them and all the Jews. So they fought it um, and they already had their own worship site. And they just wanted all the other Jews to come back and make Mount Gerizim their worship site. They didn't want the temple rebuilt and all of that. So the Jews looked at these Samaritans and they had become lax in some of the ceremonial laws, some of the dietary laws for Jews uh, that came out of Moses. And so the, the Jews said, we won't even eat with you. They would never eat with them. They wouldn't do anything with them. And so you have this, this, you know, and right in the middle, you have Jews up north and you have Jews down south at Jerusalem. And then in the middle, you have Samaria. And Jesus is living in this culture where right in the middle of Israel is this group of people that nobody wants to even come into contact with. But Jesus does. <laughs> so, Jesus sets things up a little bit. And the first thing he does is look for common ground. He didn't expect the Samaritan woman to come to him in Jerusalem or go up to Galilee. He went to where she was and established common ground. Uh, both the Jews and the Samaritans honored the books of Moses, and they both honored uh, the story of jo Jacob and his family. And so he goes to a well that Jacob had dug that was still there, and so it's a common, um, it's common ground. And that well that Jacob had dug and, and that the Samaritan woman came to every day to draw water from for her needs. And Jesus allowed that Samaritan woman to approach him, but he did not allow her to approach him as though he was God, 
having his act all put together and all of that, the woman comes to him and the first words out of his mouth are to her, would you draw me some water? And he goes to her and approaches her at a point of his own need. And I want to say something about that real quick. Sometimes we need to be reminded that if we try to share our faith in a way that we've already got everything all put together in our lives, <laughs> we're not going to be as effective. Um, Jesus ministered to her and drew her into a, a conversation with a need of his own. And sometimes we can give that appearance that we are so put together, have everything right going well in our lives, and that's just not reality for many of us. But we sometimes give that impression to others when we're trying to reach them and share about Jesus. And Jesus doesn't do that. He goes to the Samaritan woman. He asks her for a drink of water. And he was God. He wasn't just one of us. He was God. And he did that. And then he comes to her. He's sitting there when she comes at noon. And women would come, but they didn't come at noon to get water. They would come in the evening, in the cool of the day, and they would get the water for that evening and for the next day, and they would come when it was cool at the end of the day to gather their water. And so here's a woman who comes in the very heat of the day. Why does she do that? She's ashamed. She's embarrassed. She's an, she's an outcast. And even in her, among her own people, the Samaritans, they didn't want anything to do with her. And so she would come to this, this well of Jacob to draw water at a time when she knew she was fairly safe. She wouldn't run into other people. Certainly not a Jew. <laughs> but she wouldn't even run into other Samaritans and all of that. She came to avoid contact with other people. And then we come to part of the rest of the story. And John writes, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And his disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, the first thing that happens in this is that Jesus initiated a conversation with her. He didn't wait for her. Um, he initiated this conversation by simply asking her for water. Um, the first law of sharing our faith is that we have to make contact with other people. Now, does that make sense? Is that pretty, yeah, that's pretty pretty plain. And yet, you know, I listened this week to John Maxwell say that there's two kinds of people in the world. Those who reach out and those who expect others to reach out to them. <laughs> Extroverts and introverts. <laughs> And so, you know, and, you know, about half the world is one or the other. <laughs> Either you're, you're an extrovert or you're an introvert. But sometimes when it comes to sharing our faith, even though we might be like I am, an introvert, we have to step out and we have to initiate. Even if, even if it's as simple as asking someone for a drink of water, 
getting a conversation um, going and, and started there. Um, to connect with people also means something else. It means that you have to genuinely like them. You will never connect with anyone if you don't really like them. <laughs> people, uh, they may not register mentally, but emotionally they will register and they will know. And sometimes as Christians, we just need to wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to like everyone I run into today. <laughs> if we're actually going to, to make a difference in the lives of people we come into contact with, we need to have that mindset. And, and Jesus, you know, his disciples weren't there. They didn't approve of going right through Samaria. His disciples weren't there, but Jesus was there. He liked the Samaritan woman. He liked the Samaritan community and all of that. And then there were a number of barriers that Jesus overcame to share his faith with this woman. And, and, and quite frankly, anytime you and I share our faith, we have to overcome a number of barriers, just like Jesus did. The first one um, is that the, the culture of the day was that a man was not to talk to a woman without uh, her husband present. Now, that didn't matter if you were a Samaritan, Jew, or Gentile or what. That was the culture of the day. You didn't talk to another woman if she was married, if her husband wasn't present. And Jesus goes ahead and just breaks that barrier down and talks to her and asks her for a drink of water. Secondly, there was the religious culture of the day of talking to a woman who was of known low morals. And Jesus did that. Uh, third, there was the ethical, ethical barrier of a Jew talking to a Samaritan, and yet Jesus talks to her. And so in order for you and I to take the gospel and share the gospel uh, with the world around us, we have to be willing to cross barriers. Uh, and those barriers obviously are not comfortable. That's why they're barriers. <laughs> you know. But Jesus broke down those barriers and, and went outside of what the norm of the culture was. Believe me, in this Norwegian culture, there are a number of barriers to sharing your faith. You know that because you live here. There are just certain barriers that come with living in McKinsey County um, in terms of sharing your faith. You go somewhere else and they wouldn't have those same barriers. They just have a different set. But everywhere you go, there's going to be some barriers to sharing your faith. Now, I personally would have looked at these set of barriers that Jesus looked at. The fact that he was talking to a Samaritan. The fact that he was talking to a woman. The fact that she was of low, you know, moral, morals in her life and all of that. And I would have said, you know, I think I can go around through Perea. It's a few extra miles, but I think I'll just do that. Um, that would have been... Uh, in fact, I would not have actually seen an opportunity for witness there, if I were to be honest with you. I would just, and, you know, the best opportunity I have to serve God today is to take the extra miles and walk over there by Perea and, and get up there to 
um, Galilee, where, I, where I'm wanting to go. But there are often many more opportunities to share our faith on a path that is not common for us. Um, A lot of times you and I just don't see the opportunities that are out there. The disciples saw no opportunity for outreach. In fact, they didn't probably even believe that God wanted to reach out to the Samaritan woman or to the Samaritan community and all of that. And so we have to pray and ask God, God, give me the eyes of Jesus so I can see opportunities where currently I don't see an opportunity. Now, again, Jesus could have gone through that traditional route, um, but there probably wasn't near the opportunity for them to share their faith and change a community that there was by going straight up through Samaria. So the question for us is this. Are we willing to go where the fruit is hanging low, where you can reach? You know, you, you, you know there's apple trees, and, and sometimes the fruit is right there where you can reach it, and other times it's way up there in the tree. Are we willing to go where the fruit is hanging low, go out of the way to reach that, uh, so that we can reach people for Jesus? Are we willing to do that? The woman responds now to Jesus. He's asked her for this drink of water. And she just comes at him and she says, you know you're breaking all the cultural taboos. And you're not even supposed to be talking to me. She says, you know, you are a Jew. In case you didn't know that, Jesus. I am a Samaritan. Rule number one, don't talk to me. (laughs) I am a woman. Rule number two, don't talk to me. (laughs) And... And so she said, you know, she has lived her whole life feeling the rejection of the Jews, living the rejection of the Jews. Her whole life, she I mean, not only rejection by her own Samaritan people for having five husbands and, and living with her boyfriend and all of that, but she, she has felt rejection her whole life from the Jews. And so she says, Jesus, you are not even supposed to be talking to me. And so as we approach people, here's something that we need to remember, especially in our culture today. This was not true 35 years ago. I remember. As we approach people, we have to remember that most people that we approach bring all the judgment and condemnation and rejection and anything they've ever experienced at the hands of a Christian with them into the conversation they're having with you. (laughs) This Samaritan woman brought all the rejection she'd known her whole life from the Jews into this conversation she was having with Jesus. And almost anyone that you and I talk to we don't start with a clean slate. It's not even a fair slate. Because, you know, some of those things they should have dropped. (laughs) Some of those things Christians did really stupid things, but they are not my fault or your fault. But nonetheless, they bring all that garbage with them and they bring it into the conversation they're having with you about Jesus. 
And so we need to be mindful of that, just as, as Jesus was mindful of, of this woman. David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons writes, 85% of young outsiders, uh, of people who have not come to faith in Christ, have had sufficient exposure to Christians and churches to conclude that all Christians are hypocritical. <laughs> so they just bring that with them into a conversation they have with us. And so we need to, we need to be mindful of that. And so she brings all this right into the conversation, but Jesus is not sidetracked by that. He redirects the conversation. He starts to talk to her about the opportunities of him bringing her living water when he had just asked her for physical water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, this woman is persistent. First of all, she tells Jesus that, you know, he's breaking all the rules. She shouldn't, he shouldn't be talking to her. And now she comes back and says, well, Jesus, you asked me for water, but the fact is you don't have anything to draw water with. And uh, you say you can provide living water for me, but you don't have anything to draw with it. And I know this well, I know it's deep, and, you know, how are you going to get this water for me? And so she, and, and then she says on the heels of that, unless you're greater than our father Jacob. And she begins to open this door where she sees him not just as a common, ordinary, foolish Jew that has wandered into some area where he shouldn't be. And she says, maybe there's more to you than that. Maybe, maybe you're, um, on a level with our father, Jacob. And she begins to see that maybe there's more to Jesus than meets the eye. And Jesus doesn't even address her concerns. He doesn't say anything about not having something to draw the water with, how deep the water is, all of that. But he begins to prod her more about living water and what his living water could do for her. And Jesus was saying, you know, the water that, the physical water that we get out of that well, it doesn't last very long before you want more. Cows. They get done eating a bale of hay and what do they want? Another bale of hay. You know, and we're kind of the same way. We eat and we drink and the next day we get up and what do we do again? We eat and we drink. The, the water of this world does not really satisfy for long. We're always wanting more. And that's what Jesus says. He says, what the world has to offer us will not satisfy. And then I want you to notice that Jesus does not use um, a typical sales pitch 
in sharing his faith. He doesn't have the four spiritual laws or the Romans road, um, you know, booklet in his hand as he shares his faith. He's just talking to her. And those are good, by the way. But he's before that. A lot of times if you spring into that too quickly and haven't built the connection yet, they're not ready for the Romans road or the laws uh, for spiritual laws and all of that. But he's just sharing his faith, but he's doing it by making a connection on common ground with her. And that's when Jesus ran into another barrier, the language barrier. Jesus is talking to her about living water. And all she hears in her head is physical water that somehow if she got a bucket of that water, she could go home and tomorrow she'd wake up and she'd never get thirsty because she had drank water today. That's what she heard. And and a lot of times the things that I say and the things that you say, we have our own Christian speak. And we're so used to our Christian speak that when somebody else listens to us, they're going, what language are they speaking? And we don't even know it. You know, we've gotten so accustomed to it and all of that. And um, she simply, you know, he was speaking as kind of like listening to, you know, the people react to Donald Trump. He, he says something and... And they take it literally, and, and who knows where Donald Trump is coming from half the time, but it's not always very literal what he's saying. And, and, and Jesus is speaking spiritually about water, and she's not there at all. She's over here thinking about physical water. And, and so the same thing happens in regard to us. A lot of times we speak... But what we think we're communicating, we're not. Because they hear something else. And so we have to think about that. And we have to remind ourselves to at least find out, okay, what are you actually hearing? <laughs> did you hear what I actually said? Or did you hear something completely different? Because you know, you're using terms or, or words that are just not familiar to them. And then Jesus abruptly does something that you and I would not picture to be part of a good evangelism strategy. He says to the woman, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And so far, we're fine. But then Jesus says, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Now, the good thing is he told her she was telling the truth. (laughs) But that was really the only good news in in that whole conversation uh, that Jesus shared uh, with her. Um, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. See, she's she's moving in her transition of who she thinks Jesus is. Um, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Where did that come from? How was that part of the conversation? <laughs> 
Jesus does something here that almost seems a little bit cruel, mean, um, out of place. And he tells her to go to her husband and come back. And she says she doesn't have one. And, and he says that actually, well, yes, you've had already had five. And you're living with a man now who's not your husband. And he does not do this for the purpose of condemnation. He does it to bring the conversation to a point where there is a level of conviction. Because without conviction, there is no need for the gospel. Without conviction, there is no need for the gospel. If I have no sin, then why do I need Jesus? If, if, if everything in my life is just rosy, why do I need Jesus? Without conviction, there is no need for the gospel. And so Jesus points this out to her, reminds her of what she's very well aware of. But he says it to her, and he says it not to condemn her, but to bring her to a point of seeing a need for living water, for seeing her need of who he is and recognizing that. And so in the moment, from going uh, from seeing Jesus as a regular man to somebody who might be like uh, her father Jacob, ancestor Jacob, she begins to now see him as a prophet. And then she tries to enter into, goes from that immediately into a religious argument. Ever had that happen to you? Quite common. Actually, instead of dealing with the issue, I just redirect into a religious argument and hope to get you involved in that argument to avoid going to spiritual truth. I can argue about something that's controversial to avoid going to spiritual truth. And so she tried to get him to argue about where real worship happens. <laughs> Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain all of that to us. And that's when Jesus declared, I, the one who is speaking to you, I am he. Now, Jesus did not ignore the truth with this woman. He said some things that were just a little bit um, almost rude to say to her. He said to her that Samaritans worship what they don't know. That wouldn't be tolerated in our culture very well. And then Jesus said, and the Jews worship what they do know, and salvation comes from the Jews. Again, we wouldn't tolerate that in our, our worldly culture today very well. There's only one way to heaven, and yet that is exactly what the scripture says, that it is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and there is no other name by which you and I may get into heaven. And Jesus spoke that truth. 
The Samaritans had only accepted the Pentateuch, and they had rewritten it, actually, to say that they worshipped on Mount Gerizim. But Jesus moves that conversation from the argument she wants to have with him about where to worship. Jesus moves that from the historical argument to the hard argument and says the real issue is not where. The real issue is not where we worship. Um, in fact, he says where it's going to change for both Jews and Samaritans. It's going to change. It's not going to be at Mount Gerizim, and it's not going to be at Jerusalem. Worship happens in spirit and in truth. Now, friends, I, I don't have much time for rabbit trails, but our culture would like worship that doesn't deal with truth very much. And I just want to remind you that Jesus said real worship is spirit and truth. And you need to be in the word and you need to know what that truth is if you're really going to worship God. The woman turns the conversation from worship to the Messiah and Jesus was able to take that when she said, well, I know that Messiah is coming. He's going to answer all these questions. And Jesus said he was that. And any conversation that, you know, is naturally going to follow a bunch of rabbit trails. Anytime we get to talking, you know, we can go down rabbit trails and all of that. But Jesus kept bringing that conversation back and he stayed on target. He made the main thing, the main thing, all the way through this conversation with the Samaritan woman. And that was that Jesus is the Savior and Lord. And, and that's the good news. And that's he steered everything along the way towards that end. Now, we're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. You're not Jesus. And sharing our faith, this is a wonderful story. Um, and it demonstrates a lot of detail about how to share our faith. But we can't expect that every time we share our faith is going to turn out this wonderful. But we share our faith and we leave it in the hands of God and we do our best and we learn um, as we can. And then the text goes on and says, many of the Samaritans of the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more believed. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So she goes back and, and Jesus spends two days with these people. And, and the interesting thing, the end result is these people talk to the Samaritan woman and they say, it's not just because you shared what Jesus did for you, but we heard for ourselves. Um, what Jesus did. And so when you and I share our faith, sometimes we're just the beginning part of that. All we're doing is laying the framework for Jesus to be able to engage that person enough for them to hear directly from him. And that may not ha that may happen a long time after you leave or after several conversations that you have. You can't expect it just to happen overnight. For this community, Jesus spent a whole two days with them. 
And then they said, it wasn't because of what you said. <laughs> it wasn't because of your testimony. It was because we heard it for ourselves from Jesus. And so as we share our faith, that, that's very important. But then we have to remember that it's Jesus' job. Once we've opened the door, that's what we're doing is introducing people. We're opening the door for Jesus to go into the community and into the hearts and into the lives of other people and to engage them himself. Evangelism is a responsibility of Jesus and all we do is go and open doors.